Lord Jesus, you've come all across your word. The prophets announce it. The poets anticipate it and celebrate it and also mourn over your eventual death. And the gospels announce it and tell us in detail how you came and why and how we are blessed more than I could ever explain to anybody and more than I can possibly understand myself. So as we hear the story of your birth once more, help us marvel and worship and love you and trust you as these first eyewitnesses did. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning. I'd like to op- you to open your Bible to a blank page. Seriously. If you'll find the Gospel of Matthew, your Bible should say, if you don't have one with you, there should be one in the seats near you, so please feel free to to find one. Your Bible should say the Gospel according to Matthew. Everybody have that? Okay, turn one page back, and there's probably a title page there that says what? The New Testament. And then there's, turning back another page, there's what? A blank page. Sometimes in government forms and financial documents, they'll print in big, bold block letters, this page left intentionally blank. Have you seen that? Not exactly what's happening here, but that blank page is enormously significant. 400 years pass between the blank page and the first words of Matthew's gospel. 400 years. And the last book in the Old Testament closes with an interesting note. Flip back even further to the last chapter of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, And look at the last word in the Old Testament. What's it say? Some of your translations will say curse, others will say, like mine, destruction. How's that for a finish? And then, 400 years of silence. Listen, the last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then, nothing. Wow. How many of you enjoy waiting? Isn't it great? And hasn't technology made it so much worse? How many of you suffer from what I call expectations? You understand that? Think you got it because you laughed. Expectations are what I suffer when I send you a text. And I expect that because it's a text, what's going to happen? You're going to get right back to me. And it's completely disconcerting when we're having a text conversation and things are flowing back and forth quickly and then I ask something and you go quiet. 
After about five minutes, I wonder, did they die? <laughs> Were they struck down in some way? Should I be concerned? Should I call them and annoy them? Should I call them because then I'll know to send help? What is happening exactly? We're not good at waiting, which is why the blank page is so significant. It represents 400 years of waiting. And I actually have a, a short message and a long reading this morning. I want you to read with me again in the Gospel of Luke how God broke in and broke the silence. Look with me to Luke chapter 1, please. Long reading, short sermon. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. What's happening here? Luke is not an eyewitness of the life of Jesus, but he's a close friend of people who were, particularly the Apostle Paul. And the life of Jesus was lived publicly. This is what separates Jesus from all other people who make religious claims. In all spirituality and religion, what invariably happens is that someone somewhere has a dream or a vision or goes off into the desert and sees or hears something in private and comes back and tells the public what they have now discovered. That might be called enlightenment. Not the life of Jesus. It's all done in public. And apparently a Gentile believer, Theophilus is a Greek name, has come to believe in Jesus, and Luke makes a careful investigation talking to the people who witnessed it, who heard it, who knew it, who received it, and he said, they've written, they've communicated the message, but now I also want you to know with certainty what happened among us when it came to Jesus. And here's the story. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years." And there's one of those matter-of-fact observations of the cruelty that people experience in life. This man is a priest. His wife is as righteous as he is. They both obey God, but it, particularly in that day, they have been given an unbearable burden, and they have no children because, we're told, Elizabeth was barren, and now they're too old. It says they were both advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. 
But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Remember that echo from Malachi? And he will go before him in the spirit and power of who? Of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That was a nice euphemism he used with her, right? (laughs) I'm old and she's a senior, I think is what that means. Does he sound like he believes this? He's struggling. Would you? Thank you for your self-awareness and humility. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Uh Uh-oh. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a, vi- they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Can you imagine the awkwardness of this moment? A man went in speaking. He comes out making signs. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And the story is so familiar to us that you read that as the most ordinary thing, but please understand, Nazareth was a backwater. It was a town of no particular importance. It's entirely possible that the entire village of Nazareth in the days of Jesus was not much larger than our church campus. It was nowhere important. That's one of the reasons it's so surprising that an angel who stands, as he says, in the presence of God goes to Nazareth. The audience is unusual too. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, meaning, according to their custom, they were engaged and legally as good as married, but not truly. The marriage was not yet consummated. They were not living together. They were not enjoying yet marriage together, which is what makes what happens to Mary so shocking and difficult for her. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. What she would have heard by its meaning, Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? Does her question sound like his? It's different, isn't it? He said, through a question, it can't be. She said, how will you do this? She's aware of the difficulty. And I wonder, it's very hard for a male pastor to put himself in the position of a first century woman, very likely a young teenager, to try to put myself in her mind and understand the gravity of the social embarrassment that has just been announced to her. You're publicly and legally married, but not yet. You're not in his home. You're not yet truly and fully his wife, but you're going to bear a child. And her only question is, how? Verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Wow. See, as I'm going to show you in a moment, Mary knows her Old Testament far better than I do. She's going to burst into song in just a moment, and practically every phrase is a citation from the Old Testament. See, it's something interesting. When we're broken open by joy or stress, what's inside of us all along is revealed. What's going to come pouring out of Mary is a deep, loving, reverent, submissive, obedient knowledge of God. And now she's being told that the Holy Spirit, this mysterious divine person that only occasionally is mentioned in the Old Testament, that comes upon men like David to inspire him to write the hymns of her people, now he's going somehow, whatever that means, to overshadow her, and she will conceive because the child that will be born from her will be like no other child ever. He's going to be the very Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Please remember this. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. Did you get that? 400 years of silence, an ominous prophecy that ends speaking of utter destruction, but now, finally, the silence has been shattered by twin miracles announced to unlikely people who as women in their culture did not have legal standing even to be witnesses in a legal proceeding. They were not held in high esteem. And now one of them has cause to rejoice because in her old age, as she said, what she found to be a reproach which likely made people question her character and her walk with God is finally in her old age being removed. She's going to be vindicated and she's going to be part of God's history in a way that only one other woman will surpass. Her very young relative, Mary, who will actually give birth to the Son of God. Verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Take note of the faith of Mary for yourself. This is the long reading. This is not yet the sermon. I just want you to see what she has been told will now happen to her and with her. I want you to try, if you can, to envision the embarrassment and the shame that she is going to face going back to a small town where everybody knows everybody and she is going to be quite visibly, publicly pregnant before she's married. So much so that if you read the account in Matthew, when Joseph found out, we're told because he was a righteous man, he sought to divorce her quietly. He could have embarrassed her. He could have done much more than that. But he was brokenhearted because there was no other possible explanation for his betrothed, his engaged, young, soon-to-be wife to be pregnant, Right? And Mary hears all this and simply says, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I'm here to serve. I wasn't expecting this. I was growing up in this podunk town of no particular importance, being known by absolutely no one and marrying an honorable man and a good man, but an obscure man. A man who does carpentry and stonemasonry probably in this backwater town. He does good work, but these aren't the big leagues. Nobody's in Nazareth thinking that they've made it. And now her modest life will be upended. And this will follow her, if you read through the Gospels, this will follow her the rest of her life, and it will follow Jesus the rest of his life until they killed him, because in one particularly cruel part of the Gospel of John, Jesus' opponents say, hey, we know who our father is. You don't. We've heard the stories. We know what they say. Preach well. You do all the stuff we can't understand, but the beginnings of your life, we know who our Father is. 
In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Miracle on miracle on miracle. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, there's the deity of Jesus right there from the very beginning, that the mother of my Lord should come to me, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Are you ready now for the short sermon? And Mary said, and Mary's going to sing. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. I want to show you Mary's song and tell you what you can learn about God from it, because as A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's something worth remembering, because everyone has thoughts and concepts and probably even images that come rushing into your mind as soon as you think about God. And what you think about God and who you think God is or what you think God is, I think Tozer's right, is the single most important thing about you. You'll order your life according to that understanding, whether it's right or wrong, whether it leads you into deception or it saves your life. And Mary, who's gone through all this, has now run off into the hill country of distance, depending on how she went, of up to 70 miles. It took her days to get there. And she greets Elizabeth. She comes into the house. They start talking. And Elizabeth is used by the Holy Spirit to call Jesus God himself to bless Mary and to recognize what God has done. And Mary again says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The first thing Mary sings about is the mercy of God. God is merciful. And do you know how few people believe that? Their concept of God does not begin generally with mercy. Many people live in a dread of God, a sort of cosmic killjoy that fears that somewhere someone is having a good time. Not the God that Mary knew. He is, she says, a God of mercy. 
My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Notice this. The first thing Mary knows about herself is she too is in need of a Savior. She's not standing in her own righteousness. She is exalting and rejoicing and magnifying the goodness of God. If you went to Catholic school or you were in a liturgical church, you might know this hymn by its Latin name, which speaks of its first, the first word in Latin because Mary is magnifying, she is proclaiming, she is enlarging through her proclamation who God is. She's letting everybody see how good He is. Verse 48, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. I'm just a poor, ordinary person. I'm engaged to a carpenter. I'm in need of a Savior just like everybody else. And people are going to remember me, Mary says, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty, God, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Please understand this, religious pride creeps into people so quickly. You ever met a proud religious person? It's the most hateful, obnoxious, contradictory thing in the world. To claim to have knowledge of God and be proud about it? Have you seen it? I have, and it's detestable to God. Mary is magnifying God, not herself. She's saying, I'm going to be called a blessed woman, though I am of no importance. I'm a humble person. I'm from low means. I have no options God has looked on me, and Mary is calling herself blessed, and we're doing it again this morning. We're remembering her and calling her blessed some 2,000 years later, not because of who she was, but as she said, because what God did for her. Has God done anything for you? That was the most tepid response imaginable to the most important question. Perhaps He hasn't done the most for you. Perhaps you're a traditional Christian, and what I mean by that is someone who comes to church occasionally but doesn't truly know and love God. You want to, but you're just not sure. And this isn't me raising the question to look down on you. I'm telling you, as a fellow sufferer and a fellow sinner from one to another, look to Jesus, who these women are singing of. Look to the God who sends His Son faithfully and mercifully because God is merciful. Verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. That's good news because Mary begins with herself and says, though I don't deserve anything of the goodness that is happening to me, this is all happening because God is so good, but it's not for me alone. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. God is merciful to all who revere Him. If you are humble before God, you will never be disappointed. The Bible says that from cover to cover. God is close to the humble in heart. He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but He lifts up 
those who humble themselves under Him. It's all over Scripture. Mary is simply one of the most brilliant examples, but what is true in her extraordinary, never before and never again case can be true for you as well. You can experience the mercy of God if you will humble yourself before His goodness and His holiness. Because God is merciful and He is holy. Did you notice the end of verse 49? He who is mighty has done great things for me and what? Holy is His name. His very character, who God is, is defined thus. He is holy. What does that mean? It literally means separate. It means a cut above. It means in an entirely different class. When we speak of God being holy, we don't mean that God is simply better at doing what we do and better at being who we are. No, He's in a class all of His own. And the only way sinful, broken, messed up people like ourselves can approach like a God like that is if He begins with His mercy. That's Mary's confidence. God is merciful, but there's more. Verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. This is flat-out poetry. God is an eternal, uncreated spirit. But she's going to get poetic, and this poor, downtrodden girl from this town of no particular importance is going to imagine God and give Him attributes of a human being not because he has them, but so we can see how he works. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. That doesn't get much traction in the United States. Because what Mary is singing of now is not God's mercy, but God's justice. God is not only merciful, God is also just. And since most of us see ourselves on the good side, we want justice simply for others. Right? Ask an attorney. Ask a police officer. How many people say, I've done a terrible thing, I need your help? No. Nobody's done anything wrong. It's amazing that all this mess has been made, that all this money has been stolen, that all of these people have been mistreated, that this guy's dead, because nobody here did anything wrong. It's the most astonishing thing in the world. Mary has a clearer picture on it because she has grown up and lived under for generations. She and hers have lived on, no doubt about it, the wrong side of justice. They have been subjected year after year, generation after generation to injustice. The Romans are in charge. God's name is tolerated, but only that. It is not embraced. They go to make these religious observances under the watchful eye of Roman soldiers who have built a garrison nearby in case things get too rowdy. And Mary says, the God who was merciful to reach down into history and begin to deal with me to save me as he will save many others 
also has his mind set not only on mercy to some, but truly on justice. And who's going to get justice? Who's going to be judged according to Mary? Look in verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Why did I say this doesn't get much traction in the United States? Because relative to the world population, we're the rich. Even our poor are rich compared to the poor in almost any other country. So you read this, and I don't know what to do with that. That might be important somewhere else, but not here. Please hear this. Here's the thread that unites all of humanity. Those who are self-sufficient will be judged by God. Those who mount their thrones, however small they may be, including the throne they imagine in their own mind where they rule their own life, will someday be brought low by a God who is just and does not esteem people who think they will rule in opposition to Him. One God. One king, one ruler. And Mary said, the God we've only read about has, broke in, has broken in again. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered, who did he scatter? The proud. Are you proud? You know, it's the weird thing. I've met a lot of proud people, but hardly ever anyone who will admit it. Have you noticed that? People who are truly proud, they're not proud, they're just realistic. They know how good they are. Just telling you facts, I'm not not proud, I'm just telling you how it is. No, you're proud. And at the most basic level, it is human pride that will send people to judgment. It is pride that stands between people and salvation. Most people will not say to God, as Mary did to God, I am just your servant. I will do your word, whatever it costs me, however it embarrasses me. I will do what you say, God. And Mary announces the proud will be scattered. That's why from this pulpit, week after week, I try to announce, and anyone who stands here, our hope in inviting them is that they will announce the good news. Grace, mercy, and utter forgiveness to those who were humble enough to turn away from their sins and trust Jesus fully, beginning with acknowledging their own pride that they lived this long in opposition to God, that people told God for so many years, if not with their words, certainly with their actions, I don't need you. Or at best, I'll let you know when I do. Do you have, have any idea how often God has, is treated as help? From my little throne, running my own little life, I'll call the shots until some other kingdom bumps into mine and gets me into a world of trouble. Then I will call out to God. And God, in His great patience, listens to all that and waits patiently for people to finally understand their genuine need of Him and humble themselves so that they can enjoy the last part. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Here's the final verse in Mary's song. She's telling you God is merciful, merciful enough to reach down and do this with me and do this for me. He is my Savior and he has given me the amazing, undeserved, unimaginable privilege of being the mother of the Son of God. That's his mercy. And he'll do the same for anyone who seeks him, anyone who humbles himself before him. And everyone who seeks his mercy must do so, keeping in view that God is just. And the reason he's doing this now is because God is faithful. He remembered that he promised mercy. And there's a name at the very last part of her song. Did you see who it is? He remembered, God remembered what he told and he would promise to, to who? To Abraham. Because thousands of years earlier, Abraham, an undeserving man himself from modern-day Iraq, growing up among people who worship the moon, someday had a relationship with God because God intervened in his life and God made Abraham thousands of years earlier this promise, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. I'm going to make you a great nation, and from you, Abraham, one will come who will bless the whole world, and here we are. There are dozens of nations represented in this church. If people speak their native language, you can hear at least half a dozen languages on our campus every Sunday morning. We're as different as we could possibly be. Our traditions, our ancestral religions, our superstitions, all the things that separate us, including war, because there are people here who have deep friendships from nations that hated and killed each other for millennia. How does all that happen? Because God remembered His promise and God is faithful. Take it to the bank. God always does what He says He will do. And silence doesn't change any of that. What is happening in the silence? God is literally moving things around so that, as Paul explained, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son when everything was ready so that people would know the Savior. What I'm trying to tell you through this long reading and shorter sermon is simply this. All the goodness and all the glory of God can be seen at Christmas in the birth of His Son. Your only hope and your greatest joy is to take refuge in Jesus. To love God and to trust Him as Mary did. Tozier said, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. You just heard not only what Mary thought, but what Mary knew about God. Your God, the one who sent His own Son to die on the cross for sins he did not commit because he was dying for yours and for mine, that God is merciful. That's why it happened. That God is just. He knows that in a time of his own choosing, he will judge the secrets of people's hearts and that no one who hasn't stood behind Jesus and taken refuge in Jesus can withstand his justice. 
evil people get away with it all the time here on earth. God the just judge will punish every unforgiven deed, all of it. Thoughts and deeds, motives, all of it will be exposed because God knows it all. And the only refuge from God's justice is to accept the mercy of the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, which God faithfully promised. And now you have the great blessing of living on this side of history and knowing that it's all true. And that you can have Him for yourself. And that the goodness of glory of God can be true in your life this Christmas season when we celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus, if only you'll trust Him. Let's pray. Friend, may I ask you if you are certain of your relationship with God? I'm not talking about hope so, I'm talking about no so. If you were given the bad news that you had a very short period of time left on this earth, with all the grief and trouble and fear that that may cause you, deep inside you, you would be at peace because you know you are at peace with God. If you don't have that, the whole point of Jesus coming is to give you that certainty. To offer his life a sacrifice in punishment of your sins because he committed none of his own. And my invitation to you this morning, very specifically, is to trust Jesus as Savior by turning away from your sin, telling him you're sorry, and saying that you're coming to him as the only person in the universe who can save you. It's just him. I'm just the messenger. That's all I can do. And all I've tried to do is point you back to him. Do you know him? Are you certain? If not, may I invite you to pray. And with your own humility, with your own repentance, telling Jesus that you are sorry for your sin, but you will take him this morning as your Savior. But you don't want to face God's justice. You want to receive mercy instead because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. If you do that this morning, please find the card in your bulletin. Fill it out. Let us know. If you have questions, do that. Most people I read hear this gospel at least six times before their pride breaks and they humble themselves before God and they believe it. If this is only your third or fourth time and you're struggling and you have questions and you need prayer, let us know. But if today you've placed your faith not in yourself but in Christ, please let us know. And Jesus said there was rejoicing in heaven when a sinner comes home. And the rest of us, those who've known him and however imperfectly have walked with him for years, do you, did you realize again how much he loves you? His mercy is for you. His justice has been satisfied. His faithfulness is real. With God, nothing will be impossible. And Father, we praise you and thank you. Thank you for loving us this way. Thank you for working and acting in history in this way that we may know you and love you and have not only your forgiveness but your deep, faithful love. Help us, Lord, this Christmas season to spread this message 
to invite people here in the Christmas Eve services or the Sunday service so that they may hear, not from our church, but they may hear from you so that with Mary and countless others, Lord, known and unknown, we together may recognize how good and glorious you are. In Jesus' name I pray and Crosspoint said, Amen. Amen. Take some invitations with you. We're going to tell people about a good Savior this Christmas. God bless you.